Good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody online as well as people here. Um, so I'm going to uh, talk about my favorite book in Buddhism, which is uh, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by uh, Shunru Suzuki. Um, I like this book so much because in very short chapters, he will tell a story or develop a metaphor and then bring it all together in uh, explaining or demonstrating an important Buddhist uh, principle. Um, th there is a phrase that Suzuki uh, uses throughout the book uh, that is very simple, uh, which is uh, our practice is just to sit or, or our practice. Uh, sometimes he says uh, variations on it. So we just sit or it is best just to sit. Uh, this phrase gains meaning as he applies it to different situations. I want to talk about several ways Suzuki uses the, this idea of just sitting and how it can help us in our practice. Another phrase that Suzuki uses is we sit with no gaining idea. Uh, <clears throat> together, these two phrases convey what Suzuki considers to be essential in our practice. The idea of just sitting, I think, is helpful for us to develop being more consistent in our practice. Its simplicity encourages us to sit without the pressure we put on ourselves that our meditation needs to be very good or perfect. We often sit down thinking we should concentrate on our breath without having any extraneous thoughts. This is probably impossible in the beginning and really for a long time, very long time. When we feel frustrated with all the thoughts running through our minds and feel we aren't meditating correctly, we can get disappointed with ourselves and stop practicing. The idea of just sit says to me that some days meditation will go well and other days I will feel distracted. But the important thing is to just sit and keep doing it. When we, uh, when we used to meet downstairs for discussions after Sunday practice, I heard people talk several times, not more than several times, about stopping meditation for several months or even a year uh, at a time because they got frustrated with themselves, but then people come back to the temple and to practice. So, so why do we keep coming back? Uh, I think it's because we have some intuitive sense that Buddhism shows us the uh, true or real way to live life. Uh, I think there's a vicious cycle in which people, in, in which if people don't practice regularly, they get frustrated and practice less. If we can say to ourselves that to just sit is doing something positive for ourselves, then maybe uh, that encourages, encourages us to meditate more consistently. Suzuki's approach that our practice is just sitting helps us also to develop patience. If we try to focus on our breath and not be focused on what we hope to gain by meditating, we can start to accept whatever is going on for us in the moment while we practice. Cultivating no gaining idea is cultivating uh, patience. Somehow it seems to me that consistency and patience go together. When we are patient with our pace of our practice, we can be more consistent. When we practice more consistently, uh, we slow down and we can be more patient. Uh, learning to be more patient through the experience of meditating is also very valuable in our lives off the cushion. Uh, there are situations in our lives when we feel trapped in a bad job situation or depressed about the state of a relationship 
or that we're, or, or that we're not in a relationship. When we feel things are stuck, we can feel panicky and agitated. Being able to be patient helps us to be more mindful in a situation. When we are mindful, we can respond to a difficult situation in a more thoughtful way, which gets us, which usually gets a better response from the other person. When we are feeling nothing uh, will ever change, we can be hostile or withdrawn, which usually elicits a negative response and makes the situation even more stuck. The, un the understanding that things are impermanent and that conditions are always changing helps us to feel less trapped. Often if we give a situation time, we find that the other person changes or, or the situation shifts. Uh, so a supervisor you feel is unfair and critical uh, at work changes jobs and leaves or you get a new opportunity. A partner who seems adamantly opposed to something that is important to you changes his or her attitude two months later. This may be partly due to expressing your feelings, but it also comes from the other person taking in what you've said and gradually coming to see the validity of your needs. Many people need time to shift uh, their thinking. I think the patience we develop in meditating uh, often carries over in how we can handle the difficulties we face in life. The experience of sitting and seeing how we may go through several different mind states during the course of a single meditation practice helps us to understand impermanence and patience more directly. For Suzuki, meditation is not a method to attain enlightenment. It is enlightenment. By meditating over a period of time, we refine and deepen our practice. Quote, when you are continuing this practice week after week, year after year, your experience will become deeper and deeper. Do not think about anything. Just remain on your cushion without expecting anything. Then eventually you will resume your true nature. That is to say your true nature resumes itself. What I think Suzuki is expressing here is that there is not a separation between deep meditation and enlightenment and what he would call kind of pure meditation. Um, when we are one with our breath and one with meditation, this is an expression of our Buddha nature. So that, that's something Suzuki feels like when you're meditating really kind of in a very deep samadhi state, that in itself is an expression of our Buddha nature. So there's no separation. Uh, something I love about this passage is how it suggests that our true nature is outside the control of the self and will emerge if we can get out of our own way. It is the ongoing narration of our mind, the constant thinking in terms of how we are doing by evaluating and judging ourselves that blocks the unselfconscious immersion in the moment. This doesn't only apply to our meditation experience, but just as importantly, uh, how we live in the world. Mindfulness can be thought of as being fully focused on the moment. By not judging ourselves and others or being anxious about if we are succeeding or failing or if we are approved or, of or rejected, we can be truly present and then respond in a balanced and natural way. Suzuki describes how we separate ourselves from the experience of meditating by conceptualizing meditation as a tool. Quote, Usually we understand the practice of Zazen and enlightenment as being two different things. Here is practice like a pair of glasses, 
And when we use this practice, like putting the glasses on, we see enlightenment. This is the wrong understanding. The glasses themselves are enlightenment and to put them on is also enlightenment. The Heart Sutra expresses something very similar in the verse that says, and the mind is no hindrance, without any hindrance, no fears exist, free from delusion when dwells in nirvana. One way the mind is a hindrance is when it is scattered and jumping around. Uh, this is what we call monkey mind. This includes the fears or anxieties we feel in day-to-day -day interactions with other people, as well as our worries about the future. To me, anxiety is like static. It, it interferes with receiving a clear signal. We don't think clearly when we are anxious and we can't see our true nature when we are filled with fears about our emotional security. Another way that the mind is a hindrance to our practice is in the very manner that we usually think about how the world works. Conceptualizing and differentiating the objects in the world is useful for, for organizing our lives. It is important to recognize what a red light means and not step in front of traffic. But this type of thinking leads us to seeing the world in dualistic terms. We conceptualize things into opposite concepts, such as day and night, good and bad, pain and pleasure, self and other. Buddha spoke about the need to let go of this kind of thinking. Concepts can also be called signs. Uh, Buddha often talked about cultivating signlessness. Uh, the, the Diamond Sutra is primarily concerned with describing signlessness in many different ways. Buddha realized he needed to use words to teach, but he wasn't attached to the words or signs that he used. We were taught to meditate by concentrating on our breath, and when we have thoughts, to let go of them and to return to our breath. I think one meaning of the importance of this focus is that it frees us from the verbal narrative in our minds and, and we make a shift to experiencing sitting without words or signs. This is expressed in the Ilwan San Val when we chant, Ilwan is the realm of Samadhi beyond all words and speech. Without using signs, we can see, the, we can see and feel the oneness between things. Buddhism talks about the interconnectedness between all living things. It is true that we are interdependent on one another, but on another level, we are all parts of one whole. When you look at a tapestry, you don't say, oh, I like the blue dots in the bottom corner. You, you take in the whole tapestry. Being able to see the oneness or non-duality of the world is the purpose of signlessness. For most of us, probably all of us, it is difficult to cultivate signlessness but at least we can try to lessen our attachment to our concepts, including our opinions. Maybe the idea of signlessness can open us up more to experiencing things as they are without the filter of our assumptions. This kind of approach to the world is called seeing the true suchness of things. It is another meaning of the phrase to just sit. Just sit and see things as they are without pre-existing expectations. Just sit and see the true experience of how things unfold. Suzuki gives a very tangible example of true suchness. Quote, when we hear the sound of the pine trees on a windy day, perhaps the wind is just blowing and the pine trees is just standing in the wind. That is all they are doing. 
but people who listen to the wind and the trees will write a poem or feel something unusual. That is, I think, the way everything is. If we can see the trees and the wind just as it is with, without the extra feelings and associations we put on them, this is getting close to true suchness. There is a well-known story of Buddha standing in front of a large assembly of monks and bodhisattvas, and he holds up a flower and, and just smiles and doesn't say anything. Only one other person, Mahakashipa, smiled. Buddha makes Mahakashipa his successor. To me, this story shows Buddha teaching true suchness by expressing it. The flower is beautiful and, and impermanent like the whole world is. Buddha uses no words or signs because that would in interfere with the direct experience of true suchness. So he just demonstrates it. Again, it is experiencing the, experiencing the world without concepts or signs. Soda-san expressed the idea of true suchness in describing the truth of Ilwan Sang and how, quote, the creative transformations of true voidness and marvelous existence freely conceal and reveal themselves through, through all the things in the universe throughout vast eons without beginning. There's also a short poem that Soda-san wrote uh, that to me expresses or evokes true suchness. On the winding road to Pyansan, a rock listening to the sound of a stream. Nothing, nothing, but no nothing either. Not, not, but not, not either. This poem has the feeling to me that it was based on an actual experience of Soda Sans. In my mind, I, in my mind, he doesn't put this in the poem, but I always see a grassy clearing as well as a stream and a rock or an outcropping of rock in this scene. Um, although you could say that Sodasan is trying to evoke what emptiness feels like, nothing but still something. I think the scene describes, I think this scene he describes here also expresses a certain presence of a specific place. The peace, stillness, and energy of the setting with the rock and stream and grass all just being. Suzuki expresses a similar thought when he says, quote, moment after moment, we have true joy of life. So we say from true emptiness, the wondrous being appears. The wondrous being is true suchness. In Buddhism, we often hear that emptiness is the gateway of enlightenment or is the state of enlightenment itself. For me, the idea of true suchness as a form of enlightenment is very encouraging. It somehow feels a little bit more tangible, uh, certainly something I am very far from, but somehow one can imagine being connected to the harmony of things around us. The idea of sitting in emptiness constantly as a state of enlightenment seems a little austere. I think enlightenment probably involves going back and forth between emptiness and true suchness. Uh, this is what I think Soda-san and Suzuki were both expressing in the previous quotes. True suchness, I think, also has a connection to mindfulness and to our day-to-day -day practice. To see things just as they are is to approach the world in an open-minded, flexible way. These are qualities I associate with mindfulness. In a series of sentences over about a page, Suzuki describes several aspects of mindfulness that I think are very useful to our practice. Quote, uh, 
the important thing in our understanding is to have a smooth, free-thinking way of observation. Our mind should be soft and open enough to understand things as they are. This kind of thinking is always stable. It is called mindfulness. If we are prepared for thinking, there is no need to make an effort to think. This is called mindfulness. Mindfulness at the same time is wisdom. By wisdom, we do not mean some particular faculty or philosophy. Wisdom is not something to learn. Wisdom is something that will come out of your mindfulness. So the point is to be ready for observing things and to be ready for thinking. This is called emptiness of your mind. This seems to me to be such a practical yet fundamental way of understanding mindfulness. Suzuki presents an approach to thinking rather than what you should think as, as essential to our practice. Being open, flexible, and in the moment will guide us to the reasonable or wise response in a given situation. There is a sense in Suzuki's writing in which he trusts our unconscious spiritual nature. Uh, we often talk about cultivating our Buddha nature, uh, but I think our Buddha nature or true nature may also cultivate us. It seems to me that Suzuki is telling us to trust our spiritual unconscious in both meditation and mindfulness practice. This may be part of what he means when he says our true nature resumes itself. Returning to the idea of practicing without a gaining idea, I think Suzuki would say that we do this practice because we have an intuition that this is the right way to live. Suzuki believed that there is value in pursuing this practice, uh, whether we attain enlightenment or not. Uh, when we are practicing, we are more in harmony with our true nature. He says, usually we find it difficult to live in the evanescence of life but it is only within the evanescence of life that we can find the joy of life. With right understanding, you can make some progress. Then whatever you do, even though not perfect, will be based on your inmost nature and little by little, something will be achieved. I've tried to uh, share some of the themes and ideas in Zen mind, beginner's mind uh, that I find very, very valuable. Uh, there are many, many more ideas in this book that are helpful to our practice. And I encourage people to read or reread this book and find your own metaphors or ideas that uh, can inspire and encourage your practice. Thank you. Thank you.